Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back, Make and Decorate listeners. This is episode 770, and it is originally published on Thursday, May 13th, 2021. And this is so bizarre because it's episode 70, and uh, my mom is turning the big 7070 tomorrow, Friday the 14th. So, uh, yeah, this has been like a year of the big O's. I turned a big O, 5 O. Um, cousin of ours turned 6 O. My mom is 7 O. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot. It's, it's interesting this, this year. Oh, and later on in the year, in October, my, uh, wedding anniversary will be the 2 O. Unbelievable. I just don't even know where the time goes, but. Yeah, so uh, interesting, interesting thing about this year. Um, so how is everybody doing mid-May here? Uh, we've been struggling a bit with our weather. We had another uh, frost night last week and this week, but they're not consecutive. So um, it seems to be everything's okay outside and I really haven't planted uh, too much, too many more things yet. So it's basically all the perennials out there. And there's hardly anything that you can do about that um, if the frost hits. But um, my alliums are in full bloom and they look really great. The tulips um, are completely wide open. They look like giant roses. They're so pretty and they're, they're just on their last leg. So I've been just been soaking them up and enjoying them every day. Um, and yeah, so just flowers and colors just make me happy. I'm sure they make you all happy as well. Uh, so since our last episode, oh man, it has been just jam packed for me as far as just being so busy, uh, and so many things. I believe I overcommitted to some things, uh, which is totally my fault. But again, nothing I can do about it. I just have to power through this week. And hopefully next week I can kind of take a breath because the past two weeks I've been burning the candle at both ends and uh, it's not ideal. No, it isn't. But part of that burning the candle at both ends involves uh, creative and sewing and crafting things, but they're for deadlines. So, um, it's been joyful to work on them, but, um, I've got a couple things more to finish by Friday. So, um, yeah, there was also an, uh, unexpected event that also happened in the last couple of weeks. And, um, it was the passing of our Aunt Marge, and she's the one that I made the cathedral quilt for last year. Um, I posted about it on Instagram, and 
so it was very unexpected. She definitely will be missed. Uh, but um, I did find out from her daughter that uh, she inherited the quilt and she's really very happy to have it, which uh, really warmed my heart. And I was I was happy to hear that um, it was going to her daughter. And she said that um, her her mom, my aunt, uh, loved the quilt so much and she had it um, on her bed every day. Uh, so it's um, it's terrible that events like this is what um, pulls family and friends together. Uh, so we were able to see some relatives that we haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, so it's 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 just bizarre because um, just when you're just like you know feeling like you're spinning five tops in the air, they kind of all get knocked down, and you, um, you, I don't want to say you're forced, but you are put into a situation where you're you slow down for a day or two, and you just uh, perspective comes into the picture. So um, it, it was a you know a surprise and sad. Um, but uh, it, it also kind of like gave all of us time to just breathe and see each other again um, and uh, spend a little time together and and to remember all the great times that we had with Aunt Marge. So one of the deadlines was a personal one. It um, was the HTV shirts that um, I believe I talked about in the last episode. So 15 of those, and I got them done on last Saturday. So I worked on them every night uh, throughout the week and got them done. Uh, I ended up going out and getting a Sizer brand holographic rainbow um, heat transfer vinyl because the vinyl, the rainbow vinyl that I got, it's kind of like a generic um, from Amazon and it was terrible. It just, um, it, it, everything about it was just poor quality. And I don't know why I got like through five shirts or so. And then I thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> I have to go and get like an actual um, good quality um, rainbow vinyl. So we went out there and it was on sale. Thank goodness, because this stuff is expensive. And what a difference. It was like night and day. The um, carrier plastic peeled right off. The rainbow holograph did not get dull after being pressed. Um, it was just uh, everything about it was just so much easier. And it just made the process go so much faster and efficient and and joyful. So anyway, I, I've used a lot of different vinyls. And uh, the Cricut vinyl is okay. It's good. Um, and Oracle's good. But for me, the Sizer is the best vinyl that I have worked with. It is so good quality. And it works like it's supposed to work and it, things peel off correctly. So um, if you haven't tried that one, it is good. I know it's expensive, but it's always on sale somewhere out there. So you can get it for like 40% off. Uh, that's done. And 
I am almost done with everything that needs to be done by tomorrow, uh, except for I am making this gift for my mom. And don't worry, because she does not listen to this podcast. Um, Watch her listen to this one, though. (laughs) That'll be just my luck. But um, so a gift that uh, I have these just loose um, patchwork blocks from my great grandmother, who is my mom's grandmother. And so I pulled... Um, some together because I want to mount them and frame them. I'm going to a piece together like four blocks. Uh, and then I'm going to applique um, a machine embroidered design um, on the center of the four blocks and then we'll, they, it will be framed. And on the machine embroidered part, um, it is a motif of a rose and a uh, um, real pretty, just like a rose flower pattern with some leaves. And this pattern is made to have some of those um, crystals, heat crystals um, put in through the design. So the symbol, um, the stone and the flower for 70th birthday is a rose. And then the stone is sapphire. Uh, And then the May birthstone is emerald. So I got this, the blue um, sapphire crystals and the green um, emerald looking crystals uh, to uh, affix onto this design. So I've got to get that done. <laughs> and um, well, it, it, it I say tomorrow because when you listen to this, it'll be on Thursday, but um, I'm recording this earlier in the week. So anyway, that's I have to get done. But I want to say that um, these blocks needed to be um, washed, and so, but they're they're old and they're they're kind of delicate. So um, I do have the quilt um, organic soap, the Orvis, and I used it and I soaked them um, in a container with water and that soap. And I followed the directions so that you don't really wring it out like a, a a washcloth. You you actually like pat it up and down, um, and and not like just wring it. So I did all of that, and it was amazing. I I wasn't sure what to expect because a couple of them were like really had some um, oxidation stains and stuff. So um, I'll post pictures. They came out a lot better than I thought they would. Uh, So that soap is pretty amazing because it's a very gentle cleanse. You're not rubbing on the fabric or anything. It's just really kind of sitting there in the soap and you're lightly pressing on it uh, to, to get the soap through the fibers. And then you rinse it several times until the soap comes out. And then I rolled them in a big fluffy towel and um, pinned them so that they wouldn't curl up and stuff so that they would um, dry in a block shape. Uh, so it worked really well. It was the first time that I actually used the Orvis uh, quilt soap. So here's where I kind of overcommitted. <laughs> uh, I I had volunteered to do a presentation for uh, the Quilt Guild's May meeting, which is the 16th, which is right after um, all of these 
you know, festivities for my mom. And uh, so um, it just, it, it took a lot of research and work and I filmed a video for it and I had to write out a list of resources and stuff. I probably like over-prepared or whatever, but it's my very first presentation. It's virtual presentation. So I wanted to do a good job. Uh, and so that kind of stressed me out because first of all, I haven't, haven't done this before. I finally got all of that done this morning and I feel like a weight lifted off my shoulders. So I'm glad that I started to prepare for that earlier than procrastinating and leaving it to last minute, but I knew it was something that I would not be able to leave to the last minute. So I've got that. And um, so thank goodness that's done. And the other thing, and this is what I brought on to myself, after I got the, sh the t-shirts done last Saturday, instead of like starting right away to work on the framed gift for my mom, I was like, oh, you know, because we're having a birthday dinner in a private room at a restaurant with just our family. And I'm like, there it, there needs to be like some decoration in there. So uh, I'm going to make a bunting that says happy 70th birthday. <laughs> Fabric sewn bunting with uh, the letters on, on each of the bunting flags. Oh, that'll only take me an hour or two. What was I thinking? Yeah, it might take like an hour or two just to do a plain fabric bunting. But when you add to it, cutting out fabric letters and numbers and um, appliquing them on to each of the pieces. Oh, and I add I added little um, pom-pom trims to some of them. So I, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing? This is taking forever. And then I'm like, it's already, I'm already there. I'm already started. I've got to follow through with this and finish it. So um, I'm not appliquing them. I just put fusible on the backs of the letters and press them on and they're staying on. And so that will save me some time. Um, so now I'm to the point where all the letters and numbers are on the flags. And now I'm starting to apply some of the trim, and then I just have to add the uh, the binding strip and sew them all onto that, and it'll be done. But you know what? I am leaving that to the last second because if I run out of time, then that's just going to have to go by the wayside. But I know myself, I'm going to get it done. <laughs> Somehow I'm going to be getting that done. So yeah, that I brought on myself. That was terrible. Um. Another thing is um, that my husband was like, oh, my boss gave me tickets to the White Sox baseball game for Saturday. And then I am like running around like a fool getting all of this stuff, you know, errands done <laughs> for the partying. Oh, my God. So I was so looking forward to like the Saturday afternoon in the rest of the day to just be like decompress day at home, curled up with my little koopy. Uh, no, no. Now I have to sit at a ballpark for like five hours. <laughs> and it's not even my team. My team is the Cubs. It's his team, the Sox. But 
oh, well, it's more quality time, I guess. And we're out there. My husband is just really feeling the cabin fever. And, um, you know, now we're vaccinated. and He just wants to go, go places, do things, which is good. But um, when you add it on top of a whole bunch of other activities, I just, oh, uh, I want to like retreat and in, back into my hermit self. Bye-bye. Have fun. <laughs> See you later. I really shouldn't complain because it's going to be nice to be out in the fresh air, um, out at an actual activity sports team. So it's just the thought <laughs> of when this is happening. That's okay. It'll be good. It's going to all be good. All right. So if you haven't noticed already, this is um, a super long extended episode, but uh, you guys are in for a treat with my guest. She uh, has such wonderful gems of creative uh, information uh, in reference to being resilient and helping you um it builds daily creative habits, uh, and she's also uh, an avid gardener. So she um, also uh, gives out a lot of good tips and pointers. Uh, so if you're getting your garden on, uh, this episode is for you. There's a part in the episode where, where we are talking about uh, social media and um uh, the and then I, I make this like comment about how you know I, I don't need like the 10,000 followers because you know I've got I've got the listeners um, for my podcast uh, so I don't need to inflate you know numbers of followers that really aren't necessarily my core listeners um, but I, I was thinking like well, that sounds like I have like hundreds of thousands of, of listens every week. And I do not. I fully realize that I'm a small independent podcast show and I have a niche format. It's a long format, long conversation format. And um, so it's modest, definitely, uh, for sure. It's not like grandiose, but I'm doing okay Uh with it and definitely have room to improve, of course. So we recorded this episode back in January, just to give you a, an idea of time frame here. Uh, so we talk about things um, in the past. But um, Jenny Grover is the previous president of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild. Her term ended in just uh, last month in April. And uh, so she, when we were recording this episode, she really got me excited about joining it again. And I joined in February. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been really good. Um, and uh, pr probably because it's virtual, so I can sit in the comfort of my home and connect with all of these wonderful quilters and great people. So um, let's hope I can keep it up. But it's such a wonderful group of people. I'm really glad that I rejoined because uh, there is just um, it, it, it's just a happy positive environment and people are you're connecting with people who are who are engaged in um, the uh, creativity that you you like to do as well 
Um, so Jenny um, is not just a quilter and a gardener, but she is an entrepreneur and her business is called Creative Resilience. And she helps people build daily creative habits um, and create creative habits could be anything like cooking, gardening, sewing, quilting. So uh, she goes through all of that. And let me tell you that those are, she gives us like kind of like a mini course. So I'm really thankful to her for this and for sharing her, her wisdom and experience in this area. So I will be posting her website and you can check out her online course um, and so forth. So she also does one-on-one with people. So if you are finding you need some help with, um, creative habits uh, that you can incorporate into your daily life, then uh, check out Creative Resilience. So here we are. This is my conversation with Jenny Grover. Today, my guest is Jenny Grover. She's an entrepreneur, author, quilter, and gardener. And we are going to talk about gardening today. I am so excited about this, but welcome, Jenny. I'm so happy to have you. Hey, nice to see you. I'm so happy to be here. And you are from my hometown. So we've seen each other in person in real life in the past. (laughs) That is true. That is true. We met in person in real life. And the first time I still remember the first time I met you because um, it was at a sewing get together. And we met at a quilt shop out in, you know, West suburbs. And you were um, already sewing and you were like in the midst of making these cool napkins, cloth napkins. Do you remember that? (laughs) I totally remember that. I remember because I was using some very, I didn't realize this, but to other people, very prized Tula pink fabric. (laughs) And I met another woman that night who was just stunned. Why would I take this beautiful hard to come by fabric and make a napkin to wipe my face with. And I was like, well, I want to be able to see it all the time. And I use my napkins every day. Yeah. You so, can't, don't hide your Tula. Oh my gosh. They would make great napkins. <laughs> that, thank you. I agree. We use them literally every day. And I be, I wound up becoming very good friends with her and she totally gets it now. But I think she was kind of like bowled over by me at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the time where like like all these fabric designers were starting to become like little holy grails to people. And like, you know, just the year, maybe a couple years before then, did we ever really mention this is from fabric designer (laughs) so-and-so? Well, you know, it's funny. When we met, I was actually pretty new to quilting. I think I'd only been sewing like not even a year Uh at that point. And so I don't really know any other way. Like I just kind of, that's all I came into the, we know all the designers. (laughs) That's right. Everyone's a celebrity. Sorry. So celebrity. celebrity. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was fun. And I, I can't wait to the time that we can, um, do that again without social distancing. (laughs) Preach. I'm ready for it today. I know. Right. (laughs) So you're talking about that that time that you had just um, not been sewing that long. So let's let's learn about your creative story and where it all started with you. 
Sure. Well, I, you know, I've been a creative person since I can remember breathing. Um, I've just, I've always been a writer. I taught myself to type um, around the age of 11, 11 and 12. I was always big into making art and being creative and being weird. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I've always been a creative. Uh, as a quilter, I started sewing, um, gosh, might be about seven years ago now. And that started because I was hanging out with my best friend and a mutual friend who is, um, she's a graphic facilitator by trade, but she also is a very accomplished quilter. And she suggested that me and my best friend Natalie would maybe enjoy learning how to quilt. And I was like, whatever, that's all brown. Old Old people. people. (laughs) I was very ageist. That was so ageist of me. I regret it to this day, but, um, it was mostly the brown. It was all the brown. <laughs> and I love bold colors, bright, saturated jewel tones. And um, so it just didn't seem like it would really resonate for me. But my friend Brandy, she knew me. She knew that I was wrong. And, you know, to make a long story short, she introduced me to my sewing machine, which I had purchased and then stashed in a closet for a decade. Um, I could not thread the machine and so she took a sharpie and just drew on the machine <laughs> the order which was so funny didn't I love it. Me, just did she it, just did it. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, but that's fine you know I had like a little $200 thing it's, I mean whatever <laughs> and uh, and uh, the rest is history you know we just we, we got weird we made a snowball just a snowball block mm-hmm. and I made I can't remember how many of them 120 of them or whatever oh wow um it's all saturated tones of like red orange purple magenta and black and I didn't know anything about value <laughs> <laughs> so everything is like one million percent saturated yeah it is a full-on insane quilt but I think it was a good way for me to start <laughs> Every color is fighting to be the star. <laughs> it, it, that it is so true. <laughs> Nowhere, no idea where to look when you're looking at it. But you know what? I'm very proud of it because it started me on this incredible journey. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And um, do you, well, I guess that's actually, because I was wondering, you know, when you started quilting, when um, modern quilting became a focus, but it sounds like it was there from the get go. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I've played with traditional quilt block patterns. I mean, and like, who doesn't love a good log cabin block? You know, um, I've made one quilt that was all one inch pe- uh, uh, English paper piece texties. You know, I, I like the traditional construction methods, mm-hmm. but I like to punch them up with a lot of bold, modern color, yeah, and pattern, yeah. you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the color, too. And I, I love the Tula fabrics as well. And, um, well, what do you think, by the way? Um, have you been watching her Tula Tuesdays videos? I haven't watched all of them, but I've seen quite a few. I've seen some of them, too. Yeah, not all of they them. They are super fun. They are making me so happy. I love me just too. the kind of the unrehearsed, casual conversation. Yeah. 
um, and a little insider's peek at what she's working on and what her creative space is like. Those things are magic. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just astounded at how willing she is to share how she does stuff and how, I mean, it's just, um, that just kind of like endears her even more to me because I just, I, I love that. I mean, she's just really giving like that and I love her work. I love all her stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that's the mark of a true professional because Mm -hmm. she knows that she's got the goods Mm -hmm. and like she can show people a little bit of her technique and if they're good, if they're talented, if they, then they can use that technique to build their own business. And she's not threatened by that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think it's like, it's a generosity, but it's also just a, a certain level of professionalism right. that I have so much respect for. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I have even noticed after some of her collections have come out, that, you know, there have been some copycat collections I've seen. And um, I was like, Whoa, what is that? That's almost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've seen a couple as well. And some of them are more obviously copies than others. (laughs) Right, right. But you know what? She she never says anything. And she just moves on to the next thing. And she is she's always like, by the time my collection comes out, I'm already on like, you know, a collection and a half past there. So it's really cool. But anyway, we digress. (laughs) (laughs) So you said you did English paper piecing. Do you have a favorite um, technique that you kind of like to do as a go to or you just do it all? Um, You mean in terms of different kinds of things like EPP or technique for doing it? It could be no, no, it could be like a a block style that you like or love do you do you like foundation paper piecing better than um, actual piecing? Yeah, I see. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of an equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, okay, so I love English paper piecing for its portability. So that particular quilt, it had 4,700 Dang it, now I can't remember the number. I embroidered it on the back of the quilt, so Ooh. I would, wouldn't worry about it if I could have it again. <laughs> anyway, it's in another room, but it's it's almost 5,000 one oh Texas, and I did it over five years. And part of the way I was able to do that was I brought those with me everywhere I went. So, like, I visited friends in St. Thomas, and we were on a sailboat together for a week. I did a bunch <laughs> there, you know. I went to a conference about sobriety. I did a bunch there. Like, <laughs> you can kind of take it anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. So that portability is really great. I love foundation paper piecing for the incredibly deep, like, almost perfection level ability that mm-hmm. it brings. Um, I've been doing the tattoo quilt so long. Mm-hmm. Um, over the past year that's foundation paper pieced and I love that precision but I struggle with it sometimes because and I'm sure so many people listening to this will understand when you're working on a real diagonal piece and you have to flip it and it has to it just it, it has makes, to cover that flip. geometry <laughs> where you think, yes. you think I've got plenty of fabric in this piece and then you flip it and you're like oh Oh, that little, it's just like a little yeah. eighth of an a inch corner. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
And I mean, I bombed, like I, I just about failed geometry as a kid. So like, it doesn't surprise me that, but I still love it. I still persevere. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I probably love just traditional quarter inch seam piecing, machine piecing the best because it's a, you're sewing a straight line. <laughs> I've got a quarter inch foot that makes that part mm-hmm. real easy. Like it's just really simple. So when I'm looking for something to work on, it's just an anxiety um, <laughs> reducer, mm-hmm. just straight line piecing, you know, chain piecing. A so bunch I was just going to say, I love the mm. chain piecing. It's so, mwah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, How about you? Do you have a favorite? A favorite? I, I, well, I, I, strongly disliked foundation paper piecing for a while (laughs) (laughs) and then um that uh juliet um from the tartan kiwi um published that that book animal quilts and i love Mm -hmm. animals but her her techniques and the way she explained it and her patterns i love so much that's when i really sort of started to like get it and i really like uh, wasn't fearful of it or frustrated with it anymore. So yeah. I, I like it, but it's not my favorite. Okay. Um, but I like that I can do it. And like you said, like anytime you want something precision or, yeah. you know, like that. But I like um, regular piecing. I love curves. I've done, I've made like three king size uh, double wedding ring quilts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They were commissioned, but <laughs> one of these days I'll get one for myself. <laughs> but they're fun. I I really enjoy. I enjoy um, like organic shapes and quilts too. So I like applique. I, oh, I, I yeah. do like applique, like raw edge applique. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do actually really love applique. I um, I did Sarah Fielke's, um 2019 block of the month it's it was called the coming home quilt and um i had one other friend in my guild who also did it and we've been cheering each other on and i learned so much about um needle turn applique oh yeah i haven't really done a much raw edge um or fusible applique but i've done a ton of needle turn for that and I I really find that to be very calming as well I'm sure it is I haven't really experienced too much needle turn actually I have always just done the uh now I've done the cheater kind where you put the fusible on the face side of the fabric and you sew around it and you do a little slit and then you pull it right side out uh and then it Uh turned it turns the edges (laughs) Which is a great, it's a great technique. That's Isn't like it? such a fun Whoever technique. Whoever developed yeah. that was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. I love, um, you know, I, I, the um, cathartic nature of hand um, crafting anything, because I even picked up last spring knitting, which I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And it just is. It's just so... Yeah, it's like healing, and because I was sick at the time, so I couldn't I couldn't sew at my sewing machine. So you know, like, what can I do in bed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I come from, um, you know I have women in my family history who did a lot of hand sewing, and my first needlework stuff I did latch hook rugs. <laughs> I did were, those. Yeah, 
so fun. Those are fun. Um, I still have tennis elbow from doing latch hook rugging. <laughs> oh, no. So I have like latch hook elbow, which is just ludicrous. Um, <laughs> but I, I did a ton of embroidery when I was a kid. Wow. And so I have kind of been re-embracing embroidery and really going back to it again. Mm-hmm. And then at QuiltCon last year, um, I purchased a couple of Sashiko sampler panels mm-hmm. just to try it. And wow, has that been great during this pandemic? Because mm, sure. <laughs> the, the little lines are even just drawn on the fabric for you. And so yeah. you can literally have to think. And it's mm-hmm. been like a nice way to just like get in sync with my breathing, mm-hmm. do a little embroidery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. Um I I'm I'm going to the virtual QuiltCon this year um, for the first time. I have not actually even been to a QuiltCon where you like go to it, but <laughs> I'm excited about this one because um, I I have a lot of like hand sewing classes. I I'm taking a um, a Sarah Filkey one on hand quilting, and I just got my um, hand quilting hoop. <laughs> oh, fun! I'm She's so a great excited. teacher. Yeah. I took a class from her last year on a totally different kind of class it was like improv um army is what it was called um she's a delightful teacher so i think you'll have a lot of fun to it yeah and i'm taking boro mending and um i think there's a sashiko class i'm doing um so yeah i'm looking forward to it um it's fun to take classes like that but i'm definitely into and i think a lot of people are because of this pandemic kind of slowing down and and uh you know, trying out the the hand stitching, mm-hmm. the borough stitching, and the sashiko. Uh, so there there's something to be said for it. And I, I've heard other artists say like working with your hands is mm-hmm. is just I don't know. It's it's just um, a very cathartic and healing type of a of a yeah. craft. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I think that when we when we combine that with some mindfulness and we really get that mind body connection happening, like that's where we can really go into like deeper healing modes, Mm -hmm. which can just, it's, it gives us so many opportunities to, to learn more about ourselves and to get in touch with how our body is holding, you know, like a physical manifestation of emotional stress. Mm. And I think there's a lot of um, potential there for people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting how, I mean, it probably, there's, there's probably many layers to, you know, what it does and, and how it, how it can be for each individual person different, differently. Um, so we're going to get on to that in a second. I just want to talk about one more thing, because right now you're currently president of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild. Yay! Yes, I'm very, I'm, <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge it's a huge honor to get to do that work. Um, it's my fourth and anyway, at least for now, my last year on the board, I have had a four year run. Um, and I love it so much. I love that community. I went from a, a little baby <laughs> to like an obsessive <laughs> daily quilter and in large part because of that guild and the Chicago sewing social group that you and I met. Yeah. Um, but it's been also a really huge responsibility because my, my presidency year, it basically started in 
April. Oh. <laughs> and so I've been like a pandemic president the entire I was through. wondering about that because mm-hmm. I, 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 I did join up um, a few years back. Um, you, I think you were, you were on, you had a position like yeah. on there at that time. Um, but then I just like kind of, kind of, I went back to the individual because I didn't, I didn't make it to like more of the meetings that I wanted to. And then I felt guilty. And then I was talking to someone else on the podcast and, and they're like, it's okay. You don't have to show up to all of them. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, now funny, my board members are listening. You are supposed to show up to as many of them as you can make, but the rest of (laughs) y'all And come and go as you please. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's been interesting is like we we only skipped one meeting. We skipped our March meeting uh-huh. because we had had this huge 10th anniversary party planned for the March meeting. Oh, wow. And then we went into lockdown like a week before. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't going to happen. We didn't and we didn't really have the bandwidth to like pivot that quickly, mm-hmm. you know, in one week to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. I had only ever used Zoom like twice before then. So I, you know, so then April was my first meeting as president and we were on Zoom and, you know, I, my board has been amazing this year and everybody's been deeply committed to keeping us going, to keeping the energy positive, to providing many more ways than usual, actually, for members to get to know each other and Hmm. to hang out in community. Like we have weekly Zoom sewing socials that I host. Uh, We we do all kinds of stuff. And so it's been, it's a very different presidency year than I had planned on. But I do feel like I'm, I do feel like I have some um, traits that make me uniquely qualified (laughs) to deal with a crisis. Yeah, I I probably would definitely agree with that. Um, but I I was curious about that, and um, I've 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 heard other you know guilds were doing virtual meetings and stuff like that. So um, uh, I didn't know what the Chicago um, Quilt Guild was yeah. doing. But that's really cool that you're doing weekly um, Zoom. Yeah, yeah. We just you know the thing that our members tell us that they miss the most about meeting in person is not necessarily the programming, although we get really high like member satisfaction on that too, but they miss the casual hangout. So that mm-hmm. like hang time in the room before the meeting starts and the hang time at the break and the hang time at the end of the meeting yeah. and the walking out to the parking lot and then the standing in the parking lot for 45 <laughs> minutes and then going back into pee before they have an hour long drive home. Like just, <laughs> you know, they miss that like, community. It's really about community and connecting personally. And so um, a few months ago, we started doing the Zoom socials, and it's been awesome. And I'm getting to know members more, which is it's also hard to be president of an organization when you have a ton of members you've never met in person. Uh Um, And the Zoom meetings don't allow me to get to know them. So by doing the Zoom, we call them Zoom socials. And yes, we do. We do spell it S E W C I A L S. You have to. <laughs> I know we are legally required in this industry to do that. But um, you know, it's been a great opportunity for me as president to get to know people. It has brought a bunch of people already into volunteering with the board mm. because I think they get to know each other better and they get to know me better. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on January 6th, we were sewing as our capital was attacked. Mm-hmm. And I elected to keep the Zoom room open because I felt like it was a good 
safe, comfortable yeah. space for people. And so we had a real bonding time then. Uh-huh. Um, and we just, it's, it's been, it's, it's been great. We, we, we are at our high, we are at higher membership numbers than we ever are right now. And we have members from out of state. We have, <laughs> we have members who were members and moved out of state. And uh-huh. so they quit, have rejoined because we anticipate probably being on Zoom for the entire year. Oh wow! So they're they're coming to every meeting. It's been really. I'm gonna come back in because <laughs> join us because <laughs> I I actually have missed the socialization of being with other quilters yeah. and sewers and sewists, um, the, and you know, normally I I'm just so like. You know, people say that um, I'm intro, like that they'll say that they're introverted, but like I'm introverted to the point where, like, even like when <laughs> I w- I still am imitated, uh, intimidated to go to a guild meeting, and you know, I'm not like going to be like, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'll do that because I am that person. You are who, mar- who marches in and hugs yeah. every person in yeah. the room. Um, yeah, I I would love for you to join yeah. us. And honestly, almost anyone listening, really, <laughs> unless they're a jerk. Otherwise, yeah. uh, you are welcome to join us That's as well. That's wonderful. We, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're planning a whole and and also Stephanie. I want to point out that I did professional patient. Um, advocacy for many years for people with chronic illness and disability like myself and Mm -hmm. accessibility to events and organizations is a really major issue for people, uh, especially with physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. And the guild has always prized its uh, prided itself on being held in a space that's wheelchair accessible. Um, But zoom actually makes us even more accessible to so many people that mm-hmm. can't make our meetings in person. And so our we agree have agreed as a board and the incoming president who joins us in April, Julia Bryant, um, agrees that we're going to do our best to keep those meetings accessible. So even when we go back to in person, mm-hmm. we're still at the we're still going to at least broadcast the meeting online to members. So oh. even if can't physically be there in person. They may not be able to ask questions in real time. Right, right. They'll still be able to to enjoy the programming because you know what? We can't move backwards from from this. Like I'm not I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and it goes across like the entire globe. I mean, the way that everyone has changed in every single business. Um, education and everything. So I think that um, things that have been developed now virtually and Zoom and all that stuff, um, people are wanting to kind of keep that going in addition to like, you know, being able to get together for a party <laughs> with actual real people. <laughs> That's right. As well. Right. <laughs> um but um, which is why I'm like really thankful for the 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 QuiltCon being virtual because traveling and lodging and everything is super expensive, and so you know this time I could like sign up for you know a bunch of classes and and not have wow. to worry about you know going into debt, <laughs> trying yeah. to secure a hotel and you know plane and all that stuff. So I I do I do see a benefit of of offering that. Um, it's yeah, a good I've been thing. very lucky to get to go to QuiltCon twice in person 
and I signed up for QuiltCon together to do it virtually. I've blocked off all those days in my calendar Me so too. I can't schedule anything else. Oh, you too. <laughs> Great. Yes. And, um, and I bought the lecture pass because there were so many lectures I wanted to attend. I was like, I'm going to support this organization and buy the lecture pass. It's still not nearly what I would have spent on a plane ticket. Right, and right. I get to see so many lectures. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Um, so let's let's talk about um, your business. It's called Creative Resilience. And um, you can talk about just share whatever you'd like as, as, as far as how it came to be and what you're doing. Sure. Well, um, I, um, as a chronic illness advocate, I worked under the name Chronic Babe. And, you know, Chronic Babe was like an incredibly creative coping tool in a time of enormous life upheaval for me, because I got sick with chronic illness when I was 25. And I mean, when you're 25, your life is like just beginning in a lot of respects, Mm -hmm. at least here in the West. That's how it is. And um, I just didn't even know what I was going to do. And it took me learning how to apply my creative um, energies to life as a chronic illness patient Mm -hmm. to find all the workarounds, you know, to do things like like I like blinging out all my daily medication, my pill pill boxes, you know, Yeah. right. Um, because it made me miserable and depressed and, 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 um, really hopeless some days to have to carry around these stupid plastic pill bottle things everywhere I went with me, you know? Uh So I thought, well, what if I make them really cute and almost even like silly? And then I, takes the sting out of it, you know? Yeah. So I created this chronic babe work because I really wanted to teach other people how to do this work. And so much of it was around this idea. I didn't, hadn't called it creative resilience at the time, but it was around this idea of tapping into this innate creativity that you have, that we're all born with, And really growing that creative practice and that creative um, lifestyle for yourself. And then using that, using what you learn from those creative endeavors, applying those same tools to like really big life stuff. So, um, you know, I I mean, when I used to do embroidery stuff as a kid, the more embellishment, the better. And the same holds true for pillowcases. And the same, (laughs) I hurt my foot and I had to wear a boot for months and months. I blinged that out too. I covered it in rhinestones, you know, like finding ways to kind of irreverently make something that is so freaking miserable, palatable at the very least, if not kind of fun, you know? And so chronic babe was like my way of kind of giving back to the community that supported me as I learned how to live with fibromyalgia and anxiety and all these things I had. Um, And I did that work for 15 years, but I started to get super burned out because I am a person with chronic illness. I live in a body that for more almost half my life has had chronic illness. That's exhausting. And then to work with people with chronic illness and to think about the toll that it takes all day, Mm -hmm. it's just too much. It was too much. So I was looking for work that I could do that I felt like was still tapping into that creative resilience idea Mm -hmm. and it was I think it was about 15 months ago now like I was getting my I was getting a pedicure (laughs) 
I was very relaxed. <laughs> I was, I had my journal with me and suddenly my hand just started writing, 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 writing. And it was like, it poured out of me and they let me stay sitting in that chair for an extra hour after my appointment because we're, they're cool like that. And wow. I had all these ideas for like, how do I teach people how this idea of creative resilience? And, um, so then I knew the kind of work I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to reach people. And I was talking with my coach, uh, executive coach, Jackie Sloan, and we really started to come basically kind of circled around until I realized like, you know what, coaching is a great avenue for this because um, there's an element of instruction, but there's an element of empowerment and lifting up people's voices which is thing, a thing I've done in my career. I'm a journalist by training. So like I've always okay. worked a field that seeks to give people voice, you know? Okay. Um, and so coaching seemed like a really good fit. Uh -huh. So that's what I decided to do. I signed up for coaching school. Uh, six weeks later, we went into lockdown and I started coaching school. <laughs> and so I, I, finished my program last year and I received my first, um, coaching certification. I have a wellness life coach certification mm -hmm. and I take those skills and I really bring them into this new work mm -hmm. called the school of creative resilience. And I'm working with clients one-on-one -on -one. I'm offering, um, digital courses. Like I've got one right now on building a daily creative habit. I've done some speaking engagements and, um, you know, we're really just really getting off the ground in these last couple months, like getting in front of m many more clients and folks. And it's, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's so fun. It's super so, fun. So, so who who are who would your clients be though? Like, is is it still people that um, uh, may have chronic illness, or is it also just anyone who's kind of like in a rut or stuck or, you know? Yeah, all of the above, really. You know, oh, okay. I have, yeah, I have some clients who have chronic illness, and they want to continue to pursue creative endeavors. And they want to be able to do that no matter what their body is doing to them. Um, I have people who don't think of themselves as chronic babes, but they, you know, maybe they they have some illness stuff, but it's not it's not that much on their radar. They just want to grow their creative habit. I have had clients who are professional quilters and creative business owners who are trying to find their own personal creative, you know, mojo again. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked with folks who are just trying to build creativity as a practice, as a daily sustainable practice and aren't sure what that can look like or what they need to do to get there. Hmm. So I work with, um, I work with people of many ages and backgrounds and um, the core of it is teaching them how to first to just tap into that innate creativity that we all have. I mean, a lot of us, when we're kids, it gets squashed. And yeah, so yeah. a lot of people kind of lose that, but uh -huh. um, they can get it back and I can teach them how to do it. And then we, we use that energy as a tool to boost our resilience, to learn how to, pivot. I mean, my tra it's perfect that my training was in a year when everybody in the world literally had to pivot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I teach a lot of the pivot of, and yeah. a lot of the pivot is not so much like little technical details. It's much more about a person's openness and willingness and self belief that they can make a major pivot. Okay. 
Um, and so a lot of people don't know if they believe that about themselves. And we do work around that to see if they can get to a place where they do believe in themselves, that they have the capacity to make serious life altering change. You know? oh, okay. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, a, a lot of people uh, say they don't have a creative bone in their body or, you know, they're yeah. just like, I even have had, um, friends and extended family members say to me like, Oh, you know, you're so talented. And I just, you know, could never and I'm like, Yes, you can. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. totally could. <laughs> yeah, it's but. a cheer. You're making a choice. They're making a choice in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're choosing to believe a certain thing about themselves. That they they could choose to believe I don't know where my creativity is yet, but I'm going to find it. You know, or I don't mm -hmm. feel creative, but I'm going to hire someone to help me understand how I can be. Or maybe even if they don't even know that um, adding creativity into their life can help them grow. Yes. yes. So for my people who come to me and they say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And that's always what we say. I'm always <laughs> like, well, good thing creativity comes from fat, not from bone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um I like to really, because I'm like, ah, that's why I'm so creative. Because I got the curves. Um, no, I like to be playful and silly with my clients and like, you know, help them not take themselves too seriously. Right. But those people, when they come to me and they say they have a bereft of creativity, I start to ask them questions like, tell me about the last meal you cooked. You know, and then if it has more than three ingredients, I'm like, well, funny thing. You're creative. You mm -hmm. created a meal from nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, or I, I challenge them to try sorting their sock drawer and then arranging it in a way that's pleasing to their eye. Yeah. And every person comes back to me with a different looking sock drawer. And then I can say, <laughs> look, man, you're, it's so different. You created this space. You uh -huh. made it beautiful. Like that's creativity. You know, Stephanie, I think you'll, um, you, you will get this and so many of your listeners will. So many of us are raised on this idea that creativity, in air quotes, is finishing a project. Mm. So if you finish a project, then you're creative. You made some art. And the thing is, when we think about creativity in that way, it's so one dimensional. Mm -hmm. That's only like one piece of it. Creativity can also be a lifestyle, the way you choose to make everything you do feel like art or music, mm -hmm. you know, it can be a practice, something that you do every single day, like working out or brushing your teeth, where no matter how you're feeling, you're consistent about honing your craft, you know. Um, and so when we think about it as a more multidimensional mm -hmm. entity, energy, really, um, then it becomes more accessible to people. And then they can see the creativity in themselves. They can see that the way they decorated their living room is actually a tremendous creative act. Mm -hmm. Or they can think about how they love to spend 20 minutes doing their hair every morning. And that is a creative act. Mm -hmm. You know, they're expressing themselves through their hair, through their home decor, through the way they cook. Mm -hmm. They're And it's not only for an audience either. Creativity isn't just for the observer. It, when we remind ourselves that creativity comes from within and it is prime, it is first and foremost for us, mm -hmm. you know, when we 
stop caring as much what other people think of our creation. Right. It frees us up to do more, right? And right. so I like to remind my clients of that as well, that they don't have to think about creativity as what people will think of what they do. Yeah, because it can be intimidating. And, and also, yeah. um, you know, not so much now, but back even when I was growing up, craft and creativity was sort of like condescended. And oh, you almost yeah. had to be embarrassed that, you know, you sewed. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I would say some people now, I mean, there are a lot of people who look at quilting and they want to define it as craft mm-hmm. or they want to define it as art and they want to put it in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't, I just don't think it's necessary. And I think that the art world is built on a very patriarchal, (laughs) let's say an extremely limited point of view that monetizes everything. Mm. And if we take the work of women and we start calling it art all over the place, they're going to want to get paid. And so there's like an industry buy-in actually to like try to keep, you know, quilting, which is primarily performed by women as a quote unquote craft, mm-hmm. you know, because when, when women start knowing that their quilts are art and they want to hang them in galleries and get famous for them, mm-hmm. then that's a challenge to this old way of the institution. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My, my friend, you might know her too, since she used to live in this area, Trisha Royal, she's um, bits and bobbins on Instagram. Okay. She has this really beautiful, like she makes stickers and prints and t-shirts that just say really simply quilts equals sign art. It's just a very clear statement. And, and I love that. I think that I personally think all quilts are art and I think they're also a craft. I do too. Yeah, absolutely. Because even if you're doing it from a pattern, you're no, I don't think any one quilt is going to be exactly the same unless you've produced it yourself the same over and over again. But yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because one of my early um, practice uh, coaching clients when I was just getting started, would she, well, she had said to me that she didn't feel creative at all because she only made quilts from patterns. And I said, okay, but you picked the fabric, right? You arranged the fabric, picked the thread, figured out how to quilt it. And you actually made the dang thing. <laughs> yeah. And you did so, your own binding, you know? Yeah. yeah, you did your own. That's right. You did all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to feel, but I want to point out to you that you did a lot of the ingredients that most people think are very creative. Mm-hmm. But I think that for people like you and I, you know, we're in this, like, we're, we're quilters, we're sewists, we're crafters, we're surrounded by like really exceptional, talented people all the time who are constantly testing what <laughs> what the <laughs> testing the norms, you know, pushing the edge of the envelope, trying new things, writing all their own patterns. And I think there's a bias, and especially in modern quilting, that pe- kind of pushes people to feel like if they haven't written their own pattern, mm-hmm. then they're not as creative. Right. <clears throat> and I think that's pretty um baloney i think it's baloney yeah i think it's not yeah. i think it's not necessary i think it's kind of elitist mm. and um you know but I, I i have felt that way i have definitely shown people quilts and been like but i didn't i didn't write the pattern and they're like i don't care it's amazing mm-hmm. so you know i like to focus on that part of it 
um, and really empower people to know that they are creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because um, I I have even really struggled with the, you know, in our modern times of 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 quilting and crafting and the Instagrams and everything. Um, it's intimidating. It's intimidating mm-hmm. to see um, super prolific people, yeah. and you know, even I was just because I I am not the fastest quilter so I don't like zoom through stuff but then sometimes I, w- I would see stuff and I'm like man I I, I like am like in the dust here I'm not I <laughs> what am I what am I doing <laughs> yeah yeah so I have to kind of try to get a grip on that sometimes and not let it affect me yeah. too much um, um, but I think it affects everyone <clears throat> to a certain extent um, yeah, I agree. And I think that social media really feeds that. I mean, mm-hmm. we we live in this time where like, we can see so many beautifully curated versions of people's lives. And we have no idea how much is reality and how much True. is, you know, artifice. And right. so, <clears throat> and so especially I think if you're a person who is very authentic in their social media and isn't afraid to show like a picture where you're not wearing makeup or a picture where you dropped your cereal on floor or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're that kind of person and in your, in your head, you might think that everyone's that kind of person. And so then when you see a perfect looking Instagram, yes. you're like, dang, they're like perfect. Yes. <laughs> they are not showing you, you know, when they're, when their kid pooped in the tub or <laughs> When they sewed, sewed their binding on crooked and had to rip the whole thing out or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just getting such a tiny sliver yeah. of life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that we, that comparisonitis is real. It's a disease. It is. I know. And then I just have to like, I, I haven't really been spending um, much time on it um, in the last few months. Um, and it's for the better because I feel like I have actually uh, re-energized my own creativity and working on what I want to work on and not feeling, you know, like you said, the comparison game and, and being measured by that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not really on Facebook anymore. I mean, there's a couple of professional things I do in Me groups, too. but mm-hmm. personal profile, you know, I'm not active yeah. and. I'm not really on Twitter anymore. (laughs) I'm, you know, I just, there's only so much time. I am all over Instagram. Yeah. That's the one I choose to out of the, all of those um, Mm -hmm. for sure. But, um, and even like having this podcast, um, at, fir- at first, I put so much pressure on myself to like, because everybody is like, it's about the numbers that you got to, you know, get like um, 10,000 Instagram followers. And I mean, I, I don't even have like 500 yet. So, <laughs> 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 but it just wasn't me to, I, I tried to like do the whole everyday thing. And I'm like, I, I'm not having, this is not fun and yeah. I'd rather focus on the podcast and, and I do, I do have the listeners. So yeah, I don't really, I mean, why do I need like the 10,000 Instagram followers only unless I want to be like, I don't know, it, it, some sort of an like influencer for a big company or something. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about like what satisfies <laughs> you. And if you have the listeners, then that to me is the most important metric. Right, you know? right, yeah. Yeah, so. because like no social media platform, like they can change the algorithm anytime they want. They could boot you off the platform if they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't own that space and that audience there. Right, so, yeah. But your podcast audience, you built that audience. They are your people. So right. like they're right. not that's yours. You, you can hang on to that. That's you know? true. Yeah, definitely. And that's what really matters. So it's, it's been really nice um, chatting with you about this creative resilience. And I'm going to put your information on the, um, the show notes. Um, because like you said, uh, you, you work with, you know, whoever needs it, right? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For okay, sure. good. Really good. <clears throat> and you have, yeah. a, you have a new course called the daily creative. Is that right? Yeah, The Daily Creative, A Step-by-Step Path to Cultivating Your Creative Habit in 30 Days. And um, I think you've got the link for that you can share with people. It's, you know, that that for me is like a primer for people who want to build that creative um, practice for themselves. Oh, gotcha. And Mm -hmm. I I teach, there's an exercise every day for 30 days. It's a self-paced course. And it's really simple. And so it doesn't, you know, we're talking, you could spend 15 minutes a day for a month on it and get so much out of it. And I take you through a lot of exercises like the sock drawer exercise (laughs) or how to get creative with your email signature, things like that. Trying to help people get comfortable with, you know, practicing their creativity no matter what they're doing. And it's, it's a great way for someone who feels like they have no creativity to yeah. discover that they really do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's great. Uh, so we're going to do a major pivot right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> to gardening. Gardening. Well, it's still creative. Oh. It's still creativity because yeah. gardening is super creative, I think. And it is. I um, definitely. So you are a, a gardener extraordinaire, I think. Um, it's something to um, aspire to. <laughs> I like watching you during like from the start of the season through the end when you're harvesting, you know, oh, man, it's so much fun. In like July, when I pull a bunch of carrots, and I'm singing, it's the most (laughs) wonderful time. People are like, what is happening? Um, And I'm like, for me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Right? Because you You grew that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, So and and um i like to cuz um it you do urban gardening and even before like cuz you you moved into a new home a few years ago right um yeah. so now you have a lot more land to garden on but before you were yeah. in the city and you were still yeah. gardening yeah Isn't that awesome a, man it was such a gift you know we <laughs> Uh, I lived in Rogers Park, which any Chicago person will know is it's a neighborhood on the far north side of the city. Right. And um, we had this really big um, lot of land about four blocks away from my condo. So I could walk over there every day and tend my garden. And I had a little four by eight foot plot, um, which is not a lot of space. But it, I was very lucky because my plot was next to a fence. And so mm. I considered the fence also mine. Yeah. So I, I put a lot of pots there that grow viney things like beans. And <laughs> <laughs> and so I really, I made the most of that space. But I, that 
those early years of gardening, I mean, they taught me so much about how you can, how much food you can get out of even at one square foot of land wow. if you're really careful and thoughtful. Uh-huh. Um, and if the squirrels don't eat all of it, and then the you rabbits. have yeah. <laughs> or the rabbits <laughs> or the tomato horn worm, which I discovered a couple of years ago. Which oh. is, don't Google it. <laughs> oh, yuck. <laughs> Not fun to look at. Um, but yeah, it's fun. You're asking me on a perfect day because I just placed my, I, I organize a little group of friends that we all share seeds. Oh. So I just placed our communal seed buying order for nice. the season. Um, and uh, yeah, in the, in normal times we would get together, you know, the first week of February, we'd have all the seeds around my dining table and like everybody takes what they want. Mm-hmm. And um, I will be just doing that for everyone and driving around and delivering it to people's houses because <laughs> we can't do it in person. But right. That's okay. Right. Um, but you're still going to yeah. do it. But yeah, I, this, this, you know, right now is a time where, you know, people are ordering their seeds. I, I have a seed catalog for the first time. I got it in November. <laughs> Oh, cool. Which one um, did you get? The uh, Baker Creek. Oh, it's man. Very beautiful. But I, they are amazing. They are amazing, but they're soup. They're, I think they're expensive. But um, I ordered from them last year and everything worked. Like, uh, I did not have a dud of a seed. So, <laughs> oh, that's so, yeah, they, they are a little bit pricey, but they yeah. are really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And they have all and these heirloom. Yes. Yeah. And you're, so you're supporting the sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, farming practices and it's a family farm and you're, yeah. and you're buying these like heirloom seeds and yeah. So and, and yeah. And they do some really good um, uh, initiatives for like, you know, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I, I read about it in their magazine that where they're helping, you know, people who need help and I, I like that. But also their seed catalog is gorgeous. It's seed porn. It is the totally photography. Oh my gosh. It's just yeah. amazing. But, um, and they have all their kids, like their kids. And I, pres- it's, I, it's like their whole family gets in on the act. It's super enjoyable <laughs> to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. I, I sprung for every few years I spring for their like, the catalog that you buy. That's the one I got. The one That's you buy. That's the one you got. Yes. For the first, for the first time. Yes. Cause I would always get the free one. Um, yeah. but I'm like, wait, cause at first I didn't realize that that was not everything that they care. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> and yeah. I, and then I realized cause that, that, um, seed catalog sells out. So I couldn't yeah. get it when I realized and I'm like, Oh, I got to order this one. Well, there's no more left. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's March or April when I started to like look at it. It's funny, like when you're just like kind of learning and starting out and all the foibles and fumbles and stuff like that. But it's still fun. I think it's a lot of fun. And um, it's another outlet, I think, for my creativity, too. Like when the weather starts getting nice, you know, I like to be out there. Um, So talk about um, what you like to grow and um, what, what do you start everything from seed that you grow? No, I'm not that good okay, at good. starting <laughs> from seeds. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't want to spring for a super expensive home setup for seed starting. Cause that just, I don't know. I just can't, it's, it feels, it feels, um, 
um, antithetical to spend six or eight hundred dollars setting up a seed starting station in my house mm-hmm. when I could spend a fraction of that, you know, uh, on seedlings from a local family farmer. Sure. You know, I'd rather. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but, so I do have I do have a couple of cheapy grow lights. And a, and a rolling cart that I put them on so I can <laughs> wheel it around in the house. But um, it is super fun. I love to grow carrots. I'm obsessed with ground cherries. I think they are the coolest fruit. Ground um, cherries? What are those? Oh, girl, they're so good. They, they grow on a little bush and they grow in a paper husk, just like tomatillos. Oh, and then when they're ready to be eaten, they fall onto the ground. And that's how you know oh. when they're ripe. And they are delightful. And squirrels will eat them if they discover that you're growing them. So I've had one year. <laughs> you know, we live in this house now, as you mentioned, in the in the just north of the city. So we're in the suburban in neighborhood now. And um, one year I grew the ground cherries and, and uh, we had one chipmunk that liked them. And I trapped the chipmunk I released him somewhere else but (laughs) I I I was staking a claim but then last year the squirrels devoured them so it's like I feel like I need to work I'm working on a plan to keep the squirrels off of them this year we'll see if they work I'm telling you we have so many squirrels um by my house too oh yeah and um they okay so we have a deck and I I do Every year I I just do all this like container gardening and I have my herbs up there and everything too. But they love to dig in my pots and the certain certain plants when I just plant them, they just dig them up and eat them. And I'm like, those squirrels! Little monsters. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I've taken to using, there's like a thing you can buy at the garden center. It's like, this is not the name, but it's like rodent be gone or something. And you can spray it. It's made out of pheromones or maybe blood. I don't <laughs> kind of horrifying. But um, it smells real weird and they don't like it. They don't like and it. So I've taken to using that. But I don't I don't want to spray that on food that I'm growing. Exactly. Like, yeah. It works better for my perennial gardens, you know, uh-huh. but but I don't want to spray it on my tomatoes. So um no. Yeah, I think that the difference between like growing in a four by eight foot plot in Chicago, but in a lot of 250, you know, plots. And so the animals that did get in there had so much to choose from. Mm -hmm. You didn't ever as an individual lose too much stuff Mm -hmm. here in the burbs. I've got three times as much space, really more than that, Mm -hmm. probably five times as much space. Um. But when the squirrels find you, they have you have their undivided attention. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> because, yeah, and they call their friends and their cousins, and yeah. they have a big party. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I love you know, I it's it's like a fun adventure. I mean, mm-hmm. to be honest, like it's the squirrels' world. I'm the one who's the interloper. Yeah, so you know, I I try to like, and I'm a Buddhist, so I try to it's I try to. I try to I try to get quiet in my faith in this this belief system <laughs> that like we're all part of this giant you know experiment together, and so if the squirrel is hungry, then the squirrel must eat. So I, I I'm right well yeah, and then I also am like well you know you can expect because even um, professional farmers you know they're like expect twenty percent of your crop to go to the animals, and I'm like all right, you know what. 
I never even thought of it though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, so, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm I like, yeah, it's fine if they take a little bit, but come on, no. <laughs> No, my, grand, my grandpa had a farm and he would be so embarrassed to hear me feel so surprised to hear it put that way. <laughs> he is probably, yeah. Um, yeah. Know, I, the thing is, is that like, I'm very, we're very privileged to say we have food security. Like we're, we're not, I'm not going hungry. I, we live in a, in a culture that, well, I shouldn't say a culture that believes in feeding everyone because that's a whole different podcast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, (laughs) I'm I live in the West. We we have abundant, really almost overly abundant food. We're fine. So even if my entire garden is destroyed with a swarm of locusts, which Mm -hmm. apparently are this. We're having our 17 year cicada (gasps) year. So who knows? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I don't know. They go nuts on my stuff. We'll see. But um I don't think they eat I, stuff, though. I don't think they eat stuff, but I think they hang out all over it, and oh. I don't want to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll learn to do it if I need to. It's just um, creepy when you see them all on a sidewalk, and because they, they don't yeah. live that long. So then they're all, like, dead on a sidewalk, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, a quick aside. As a kid, I remember being a little kid and um, grew up in Houston, and we uh, – there was a, one of those years where it was a 17-year cicada year. And I remember my sisters and I collecting all the shells and then creating dioramas and, like, having, like, here's a diorama of an of a gas station and the cicadas are filling their cars. And, <laughs> and we would do really, we'd play really neat tricks. Like, we'd go on a sleepover and we would fill our friend's sleeping um, pillowcase with cicada shells. And then they would lay their head down and be like, crunch, crunch. I mean, <laughs> we had so much fun with those things. So I will just try to cultivate that energy this summer and like really. Right, right. Well, I know. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that as kids, because I remember just being outside a lot and um, I, I would like pick up gardener garden snakes gardener snakes garter snakes those little ones those little I think there's one of each of those words that you just said (laughs) the salamanders all of it and now I'm like "Ah, I would not pick up a snake and maybe I would but I mean you don't know um you know anymore because some of them are like not as benign as (laughs) you think they are well that takes us back to the tomato hornworm again don't google don't google it i had i mean i had two of those on plants not last summer but the summer before and i went to great lengths to not touch them while gently removing them from my plants because they made me want to throw up like yeah. and i'm i'm not usually that squeamish of a person but i right right no no, oh my no. gosh so you like to grow vegetables do you go do you like to grow flowers or are you mainly like a vegetable well herbs? i started as Urban vegetable, herb and vegetable gardener, um, and I love that. But now that we live in this house and we have so much space, and so I'm learning a lot about how to grow plants um, that are like native plants, so that I can. So basically, we're tearing out a ton of hostas, mm-hmm. which are lovely, but not in the mass quantity. Like they framed the entirety of our backyard and the back of our house mm. and they were all the same there was no variety and it was just boring <laughs> and um, 
So we have systematically ripped those out, donated them to lots of neighbors, mm-hmm. um, and put in mostly native perennial plants. And I picked almost exclusively ones that are flowering because I really like <clears throat> I have this vision of myself <laughs> in summer's future of just like wandering the street handing bouquets of fresh wildflowers to my neighbors. Like I'm real nerdy about, I really, I really want all my neighbor kids to think that I'm this wild, witchy, fun, (laughs) old lady neighbor. Like, so I'm, I've been laying the groundwork by planting this big perennial flowering garden. So we'll see, we'll see how good I am at it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I grow more, have grown flowers much longer than I've um, tried vegetable gardening. So um, yeah. And, um, what kinds of flowers do you like to grow? Um, well, I, I have a ground garden that's actually in the ground and then my container on the deck. So, um, there's this one on the deck, we have a, a lattice wall and I love putting Mandevilla there every year. And it's not, it's not a, you know, it's an annual. It's so, an annual, sure. I know. Annuals but, are fine. Like, I don't mean to poo poo on annuals because they have their place. But I haven't found like a clematis will grow here, but it's just it doesn't get like the big, luscious, flowery, you know, it's actually kind of like a thin spindly vine to me. You know what, though, Stephanie, I would that may not be true for all varieties, because we have some neighbors who have the most glorious clematis. They planted it around. There's like a like one of those big loggy light poles mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's, I don't know, I guess it could be electrical pole um, in their front yard, like on their corner mm-hmm. and they plant, they have a giant clematis and that thing is like from almost ground level up and up maybe 15 feet. It's just like big, bold purple flowers every year. Oh, really? Huh? I think maybe there's like varieties. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I love rose bushes and they're perennials. Cli- I've uh, two climbing rose bushes, and um, I also love. I'm trying more and more to do like the um, what, what do they call it? The the constant or garden or where every season you always have something blooming yeah. because there's like early spring bloomers, there's summer, there's late summer to fall, like the asters. Yeah. I love purple yeah. aster and they, they bloom in the fall and they're perennial. Um, yeah. So yeah. I have some of those that I planted. So I got a bunch of seedlings for perennial plants from the Emily Oak nature center, which is here in Skokie um, where I live. Uh-huh. And I got a couple of asters because they are so beautiful. Oh, they are. I love asters. Mm-hmm. We yeah. were we were riding our bikes last summer. My husband Joe and I were riding bikes, and we saw them. I didn't know what they were, and I used a plant app to figure out what they were. And mm. I was like, "All right, I need a lot of that in my life." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and then last fall, I I um, planted tulip bulbs again. I planted tulip bulbs maybe like fifteen, almost twenty. Well, about 15 years ago. And um, the squirrels ate most of those bulbs. <laughs> in the spring, I had five, tu- I had oh, five tulips. <laughs> and I was like, it's so much work to plant bulbs. And I'm like, I am not doing that again. So, <laughs> but, but this past fall, I'm like, I'm doing it. 
I got my bulbs and I have all these really pretty colors. And I've always wanted to have, you know, those, those, um, they, they bloom in the spring. Um, what's the name of them? They have the big purple balls, um, at oh, the top. The, um, they're like, Allium. Uh, Allium. Yes. yes. Oh, they're so yes. pretty. So I've got those. I have ground. a few of those in my front yard and they are, they are amazing. <laughs> but what I did was, I covered after I planted, I, I watched some YouTube videos and I got like this, um, uh, what is it? It's, it's like really flexible. It's like a plastic. Um, oh, like landscapers pet, barrier or fencing. barrier. It's oh. not solid, but it's like, um, it's, okay. it looks like, um, I don't know, almost like chicken wire, but it's like, but it's like a plastic. Oh, okay. Um, oh, it, no, it looks more like a netting. That's what it looks like. Okay. Netting. Okay. So I put like landscape staples and I put them all around my tulip bul- <laughs> bulbs <laughs> so I get the squirrels out. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. Maybe I'll have I can't more wait. tulips this spring. <laughs> I cannot wait to see pictures of your tulip <laughs> in a few months. That's going to be right, great. Right. So. Yeah, I tried as I planned our perennial gardens. This first round of planting anyway, I tried to be really good about just like what you said, thinking about when things would bloom so that we have stuff blooming all year. And I tried to think about like, put the tall stuff by the house and then make it get shorter, you know, as it moves toward the yard. Like I tried to think about Uh height and color and bloom time and, um, which kind of, it goes against my, you know, I like to improv quilt too. It goes against like my <laughs> desire to kind of improv garden. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think the work will have, I think it'll pay off. But that's what annuals are for. That's your improv. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an enabler. I am. <laughs> Good. I like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so much fun. And um, you got, you, but you did, was it last year? Cause I, I saw you posting that you were, you had, um, the boxes, uh, the raised, the raised boxes yes, built. Yeah. Oh, I dream about those. Oh. oh, they're so great. So I, um, I have an amazing handyman who built them for me. Um, it's a husband and wife team. And, uh, I, I knew how I wanted them designed, but I didn't know how to go about like all the different steps of like preparing, you know, he basically had to till up a bunch of grass and put down gravel and things like that under them. And, Hmm. um, he, he really helped me kind of like bring that vision to life, Mm -hmm. which I'm so thankful for, but I, I, I love the raised bed method. Like it is one way to help keep the rabbits out Mm -hmm. because they're very high they, um, they are also more, they're wheelchair accessible when they're raised up because mm. people can wheel up to them. So that's how mm-hmm. I first discovered them was at my community garden where they had raised beds oh. that were very high for yeah. people, wheelchairs and walkers and stuff. Um, and so I, I love them. I kind of want to add three more. I have three now. I want to add three. More. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not to because... I also like reserving a lot of my backyard for badminton oh, and fun. sitting around with nieces and nephews and friends, yeah. kids and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nice balance. Cool. All right. Well, um, do you, what is, just give us a top, um, advice for beginners because I, I think people are probably going to grow something this year just because of the pandemic we've been through. Yeah. And yes, I will tell you that 
a ton of seeds I tried to buy a few days ago were already sold out. Oh. Like across oh. 10 different companies. Yeah. I better get my so, act together. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do not delay. If there's anything you're looking for and you couldn't get it, let me ask me because I have a lot of seeds. Okay. Um, and, um, but yeah, so I, so one is start right now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get fancy. You can go to your, you know, you go to Menards or Lowe's or Home Depot or, you know, your local hardware store. Mm-hmm. And get seeds right off the counter, right off the rack. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there are great, many great companies that are shipping, but they do almost all of them that I saw the other day, which was more than 10, have like a shipping delay of anywhere between two and four weeks right oh, now okay. because, because of COVID and because right. of the U.S. service issues. Mm-hmm. Um so start your planning and ordering your seeds now if you want to prepare. Mm-hmm. I think that um, in the United States, finding your state schools, um, oh, extension center is usually what they're called, but it's basically you want to find if you've got an ag school, um, oh. you know, here in Illinois, like it's the University of Illinois at uh, Urbana-Champaign and you can you can call them. They have an extension office, although who knows what the staffing is like in this sure. wild time. Yeah. But usually those places also have amazing websites. And you can get lots of information for your locale. Because, right, your zone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, you know, like even here in our little area of Illinois, we are in multiple zones. Like I'm 5B because we're on the lakefront. Me front, too. Yeah. But, yeah. So then, but then like people way farther out are, are in a different zone because they don't have that lake effect so it's you want to get to know your zone and so your your state school's extension office is a great way to get resources and Mm -hmm. they will offer lots of free trainings and stuff um it's great to get to know (laughs) your local um you know garden center i like to find a family-owned garden center Mm -hmm. whenever possible Mm -hmm. and like start going there and like browse around and ask questions and now is a really good time because it's relatively quiet in there if, as long as you feel safe doing it, taking proper safety precautions right now. But mm-hmm. go in and ask a bunch of questions that you may be a little anxious about because it's not going to be as busy. If you go in May or June, it is going to be even, crazy. Even I, April, I think that yeah. I, I'm guessing more people will be gardening this year than in many, many years past. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but that's good. It's fun. And, um, and, and I, it's just, you learn by trial and error. So I'm, I, I feel like that's kind of part of the fun. Cause, um, you said you like to grow carrots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I grew carrots like a year or so ago <laughs> and I didn't know you had to thin them out and stuff. And so they, I never, oh. <laughs> I never got, they were only like this big. <laughs> Yeah, so you have one million super eight-inch long carrots, is what you're telling me. Yes, yeah. yes. And well, that, I didn't know that my first year either, and I did okay. the same thing. Oh, so. see, there you go. Yeah, and then I didn't know, oh, I was supposed to have started this indoors two months ago. <laughs> and some right. of them are direct sow, which are my favorite. I love to just drop a seed in the ground, but they're not oh, all sure. like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun. So yeah, thank- it's good to... Yeah, good to do some planning and good to ask questions and find also find your neighborhood gardeners because they're great people to share 
strategies with they're like your hyper local gardening resource, you know, the person mm-hmm. down the street that has a garden box, a raised bed in their front yard, mm-hmm. like, you want to know that person, mm-hmm. because <laughs> they're going to have advice for you. And they're going to be ready to cheer you on and share seeds and stuff. Oh my gosh, you, because the moment you said that, I'm thinking of this one house, it's in Oak Park, it's on my way home from a freelance job. And when I drive by in the front yard, they have those, um, what are those tunnel thingies? They're like the hoops, the hoops. And mm-hmm. I think those are kind of used for the, um, there's a name for the these types of plants with the broccolis and the cauliflowers oh, yeah. and the they brassicas. grow brassicas and they grow more cooler or whatever but the the hoops with the cloth over them kind of helps to keep yeah. pests out and stuff but it's like right in the front yard their whole they're using their whole front yard as a garden and it's pretty uh-huh. cool but they do have some flowers like wildflowers kind of like framing it so i'm sure people think that they're like you know cuckoo for cocoa puffs but <laughs> It just makes me smile. I'm like, that is so yeah. cool. They're urban gardening. and They're using their front yard. <laughs> I mean, the whole concept of just having this like manicured front lawn is really ludicrous. And yeah. I mean, that's me. I love having a front lawn. I love to mow my lawn. I'm into it. But, the, the, I, w- but I also admit it's ludicrous. Like I could be growing so much food in my front lawn yeah. for me and for people in need. And no, I prefer to have it smooth. But I... <laughs> You know, listen, <laughs> catch me in a couple of years. I might feel really differently. about. Yeah, that. you never know. You never, never know. Well, um, Jenny, thank you so much for um, coming on to the show and just sharing all of the stuff that you know. And, you know, it's, it's just um, we were like everywhere, but all of it was related to one thing of being creative. So like you said, no matter what you do, there's creativity in your daily practices. So um, I really appreciate you sharing that and calling attention to it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to hang out with you. Yeah. I can't wait till we can meet up in a room and so and and laugh in person together. Yes, yes. We should definitely do that. Yeah. As soon as we're both vaccinated. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, I will I will see you soon because I'm going to sign up for that. CMQG. <laughs> I have already made my recruitment goal for the year. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> we don't actually really have recruitment goals. I was just being silly, but I definitely, oh. that's great. <laughs> no, you did. That'll be so fun. <laughs> I just felt like singing for a second and being weird. Um, no, that'll be so great. I'm really glad. And, and really for anyone listening, if you want to be part of a modern quilt guild, we're we're here. So ChicagoMQG.com is our website. And uh, feel free to check us out. Yeah, ChicagoMQG.com, especially for those of you that, that don't have a, a quilt guild, you know, in your local, like maybe they're 100 miles away or something. So that this would be a great opportunity to check out. Cool. Okay, I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much. Stay creative, Stephanie. I know you will. Bye. <laughs> Bye. If you would like a bonus episode every month, become a patron and support the Make and Decorate podcast show at my Patreon page, Make and Decorate. For extended show notes with links and photos to what we've talked about, visit my podcast blog at makeanddecorate.com. And remember to take some time for yourself to be creative. Bye-bye.